0: one area of discouragement that a lot of Christ followers are feeling these days is here. Is how do we tell people about the life-giving news of Jesus Christ when people really don't want to hear from you? How do you share the, the truth of Jesus Christ to ears that are covered Or hearts that are apathetic. If it's any comfort, I think this is one of the discouragements that uh, Paul the Apostle experienced in his own ministry. That he was telling the life-giving truth of Jesus Christ to a world that, for the most part, didn't really want to hear from him. And that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit this morning. Um, So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 18. This is uh, Paul's visit to uh, the city of Corinth. So Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, reads, After this, so Paul was just in uh, the city of Athens, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Well, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on, on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. You are the God of the universe, and you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And so we pray that you would grant us this grace, that you would grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive from you this morning, and then the courage to respond to what you say to us in Jesus name. Amen. So, just going to set up what's going on here. Here we have Paul, earlier follower of Jesus Christ, arriving in a city called Corinth. And he arrives in the city a discouraged man. Now, we know this because in 1 Corinthians is one of the letters Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he describes how he came to Corinth. He says, "I came to Corinth," quote in weakness and in fear, and with much trembling, and if you were Paul, you couldn't really blame him for feeling a little bit discouraged as he enters into Corinth, because of his experiences that he had had in the last few cities that he had visited. In the last few cities, he had been, he'd been beaten, he'd been flogged, he'd been stoned, he'd been dragged outside the city gates, left for dead. Athens was a little bit better. All the people did there was just mock him. They didn't throw stones. But for Paul, here he is heading into Corinth, and things don't look good. And they don't look good, especially because of what we know about the city Corinth that he's going to. What do we know about Corinth? Well, we know that it was a major city in the first century. Corinth had a population of around 200,000 people, which is a pretty big city in the first century. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, next to Rome and Alexandria, Uh, Corinth was, I think it's called an isthmus. <laughs> it was uh, this narrow neck of land. and actually had two ports on either side of the city. And one of the things that comes with being a port city is that uh, it was a tough town. Corinth was a tough place. It was a place where one Greek scholar says, it's a place where only the tough can survive, right? They, they had that on their license plates. Corinth, welcome to Corinth. Only the tough can survive. And in many ways, because it was a port town, there was a lot of money, right? A lot of port towns have a lot of money, and there's a lot of wealth floating around. Think of Fort McMurray, which is not a port town, but think of all the money that went to Fort McMurray when it started to expand. With a lot of money comes other stuff, right? And so we shouldn't be surprised that one of the issues in Corinth was, um, was a lot of sexuality. Uh, Corinth was the center of the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in Corinth, there, were about a, uh, there was a temple, an Aphrodite uh, temple, and there was about a thousand prostitutes in town, and every night they would descend upon the city. And so it's not surprising that in the first century, uh, to Corinthianize was an expression to, to be sexually immoral. Um, if, if There was a Greek play at the time, and there's somebody who was drunk in the play. Guess where they were from? They were from Corinth. And so it was a port town, lots of money, lots of sexuality. It was culturally diverse, as a lot of port towns are. And this is the place that Paul is coming to. Paul is entering into the Vancouver of the ancient world. Corinth was a city renowned for its immorality. It's a tough town, and his hopes as he's entering into Corinth may not have been very high. But we read that Paul ends up staying in Corinth for a year and a half, which is longer than any other place. We also know that in the midst of all this mess, a church is formed. A wild, turbulent, but extremely gifted church. And if you want to know more about this church, you read, Paul's two letters to the church, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So what happened? Well, we know that when Paul arrives in Corinth, he meets a couple whose names are Priscilla and Aquila. And they become, and you'll come across these names in other letters. It's interesting. They become long-lasting friends of Paul. Now, I'm just going to get a little nerdy on you, a little history nerd sidebar here because I what I love about when you read scripture sometimes pieces get put together we read about Priscilla and Aquila where were they from do you remember where were they kicked out of according to the text Rome yeah they're kicked out of Rome why well the the emperor at the time kicks all the Jews out of Rome and so if you do a little bit of digging in history you realize why did the emperor kick Jews out of Rome well according to historical records, all the Jews were kicked out of Rome because of, according to this one Roman historian, a guy named Suetonius, he says they were kicked out of Rome because of, quote, impulse Christo, which may mean because of some guy named Christus causing problems, but most likely it was not some guy causing problems. What it it probably means is this, is that because of the instigation of followers of Christus, which is the name, the, Roman, the Latin name for Jesus Christ. And so could it be that the name of Jesus had reached Rome and was causing the same kind of turmoil in Rome as it was causing in all these other small towns that Paul was visiting? And as a result, the emperor says, All right, enough. I don't care who you are. It seems like you Jews are worshiping This guy named Christus, get out. Everybody, out of the pool. So they they kicked him out of Rome. We know that after Christus, a different emperor comes on the scene, a guy named Nero. And Nero says, all right, Jews, you can come back. And could that be why we read in the book of Romans, Paul addresses Priscilla and Aquila, who are now back in Rome. And could it be that one of the main themes in the book of Romans, if you read the book of Romans is how do Jews and Gentiles get along? Because the church had become largely Gentile because the Jews had been kicked out. Jews had come back. And the whole theme of the book of Romans is how do we get along as Jews and Gentiles? Now, I'm just a history geek. I find that interesting. But uh, if you don't, just ignore these last few minutes that I just spoke. Paul arrives in Corinth, and he arrives alone. He's without his companions, Silas and Timothy, but he makes friends with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Now we realize, we find out that these people, along with Paul, were tent makers. And I don't know if you've ever explored this industry, but it's pretty intense. I thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> I took a poll, I canvassed the neighborhood. No, sorry. Okay, anyhow. So here we got, we got uh, Silas and Timothy they show up and they give good news to Paul and they also brought some gifts to Paul and so Paul's able to devote his time to evangelism and so Paul as was his custom whenever he came to a town where would he evangelize where would he speak first the synagogue yeah so he goes into the synagogue and people don't want to hear what Paul has to say they got the ears covered and they're like they not only make fun of Paul but they mock Jesus and Paul says alright I'm done I'm done and so he walks out And he says, I'm just going to share the gospel with, with the Gentiles. And if you're Paul at this point, you could not excuse him. You cannot blame him for feeling a little bit discouraged. Here he comes to Corinth, feeling pretty discouraged, goes into the synagogues, they mock him, they mock his Jesus, and he's just like, all right, I'm done. But then something surprising happens. Paul leaves the synagogue. And it's, it's fascinating. Right next door, there's a house. And there's a fellow in this house And says, Paul, you're looking for a place to proclaim Jesus? Use my house. And the guy's name is Titius Justus. He says, Paul, use my house. And we read in 1 Corinthians, this guy Titius Justus probably also goes by the name Gai- uh, Gaius, that he is one of the guys that Paul baptized. And the entire church in Corinth takes place in this home. And so, and it's literally next door to the synagogue. And it gets even more surprising because Paul's, he's there, he's like, all right, we can use this as a church, and, and, and he's feeling all discouraged originally, and then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Who's at the door? The head of the synagogue. A guy, a guy named Crispus. And, and, and he comes and his entire household and says, you know what? We believe in Jesus. And his entire household is baptized. And so it's a remarkable story. But what I want to ask just in our time this morning is what does this story have to do with where we are today in Coquitlam? All right, where are the connecting points? Well, as I've intimated along, let me ask you this. How different is Coquitlam really from Corinth? Like ancient Corinth, we live in a culture here in the West Coast, which is very diverse, where sexuality occupies our our attention, our Facebook posts. (laughs) We live in a culture where people are increasingly reluctant and hostile to hearing about the name of Jesus. We live in a culture where if you proclaim Jesus, you're either politely dismissed, written off, or openly mocked. And I don't know about you, but I find it's pretty easy to get discouraged. So the question I want to ask is how do we persevere in sharing our faith in our own corinth of today? What kept Paul going? Well, what kept Paul going was this. He remembered who called him into this. It was the one who called him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I resolved to know among you nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it was, it was the call of Jesus in Paul's life that kept him going, even when he probably wanted to walk away. And here's the thing. It's the call of Jesus in your life That's going to keep you going If you just do the church thing And you get involved in the church And you do stuff that people are supposed to do In the church And and you do this simply because this is what a Christian should do You are toast, you're you're done It has to be the call of Jesus In your life that will keep you going And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to those of you here this morning who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to do whatever you can to keep your heart alive to the one who called you. And one of the things you can do, uh, one of my favorite guys in church history is a guy named John Newton. He lived in the 18th century. And John Newton, uh, he was a former slave trader. He understood grace. God called him out of this. um, An extraordinary life. But one of the things that John Newton did is every year he would have certain anniversary dates. And he would do whatever he could, every, not just every year, but every week, to try to remember the fact that he was saved by grace. Because I'll tell you what, it's easy to forget. And if you forget the fact that you have been saved by God's grace, that God has reconciled you to himself through his Son, Jesus Christ, and has given you his very presence, the Holy Spirit. If you forget that, it's just a small step to become self-righteous and find all your righteousness in what you do and what you don't do. And, and that gets old real quick. So what kept Paul going was his call. He remembered his call. But some of you may be thinking this morning, all right, David, I hear you. I'm called to this, but you don't know my friends. <laughs> you don't know my circle. I mean, there, my friends are so far from Jesus, they are so messed up, there's not a chance that they're going to listen to what I have to say. Well, look at Paul. <laughs> Paul knows what Corinth is like. He also knows how messed up people are. And how does he know how messed up people are? Because he looked in his own heart. He knew how messed up he was, right? He, know, he knows how messed up this new church is going to be, but he perseveres in grace and in truth because he knew that he was so messed up at one point, That one point he was blind, but God gave him eyes to see. That once he was far away, but God in his grace through Jesus Christ brought him near. And and I tell people this all the time when I talk to parents and they're saying, oh, my son's so messed up and he's, he's doing all these things he shouldn't be doing. It's like, man, that was me. <laughs> that was me. I mean, for most of my younger days I was as far away from Jesus as you can get I was hostile I was one of those guys who would mock Christians I'd go gunning for them I was an atheist for for much of my younger days and I always tell people you know if God in his grace can reach a bonehead like me and he reached me on the other side of the planet and he reached me in China of all places if God can reach me and his grace can extend to me I mean your son is not that far (laughs) right And so you look at your friends, and you're like, well, look how far away they are from Jesus. Yeah, that's okay. Nobody's out of God's reach. But some of you might be thinking, well, but I'm no evangelist. Can't I just be a Christian and live kind of like a quiet Christian life and not do the whole evangelistic thing? No. (laughs) Sorry. You can't. Um, I mean, All you have to do is read the book of Acts and you'll know that the absolute priority that evangelism has in this text. This passage, along with so many other passages, reminds us that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like it or not, you are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And you do this for two reasons. And neither one of these reasons is obligation. If you're doing it because of obligation, that won't get you very far. (laughs) You do it for two reasons. One is joy. If Jesus is who he says he is, and if he came to rescue us and to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father, if this is true, if our faith is rooted in a person and an event that took place in history then we point people to Jesus Christ not to make people Christian. We point people to Jesus Christ because only insofar as we are connected to Jesus Christ will our lives work. Do you believe that? That Jesus says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. That means all truth is found insofar you're in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the life. That There's all these paths that we think will lead to life, but only in the path that's connected to Jesus Christ will our lives work. So we tell people this, not simply, oh, we want you to become a Christian because my church says I have to become a Christian. No, that our lives, we only become fully human when we are reconciled to the one who says, I am the truth, the life. And that any other path, as promising as it may seem, will lead to a blind alley and death. Do you believe that? If you truly believe this, then you cannot help but tell people about this. But there's a second reason, and that's urgency. Because it really is a matter of life and death. That there are consequences for those who turn their back on the author of life and the consequence is separation from our creator and separation from our creator is a way of death and so when you don't want to tell people about the truth of Jesus here's my challenge to you this morning lean in and do it anyways. let me tell you about a buddy of mine Uh, his his name is Trust (laughs) and uh, yeah it's a great name And he was out, and uh, he was, I think he's in the States, and he's coming back to Canada, and he's on a ferry or something like that. And uh, he had to call home because there was an issue with the ferry. Big surprise in the summer. Um, And he he didn't have a cell phone, or his cell phone was dead. So he sees this young couple in a car, and he's like, okay, I don't want to freak them out, but, you know, I need to call home. So he knocks on the window He goes, uh, sorry, he goes, I don't want to disturb you. Can I borrow your phone? I need to call my wife and tell her that, you know, I'm going to be running late. And they're like, sure you can. So he calls and he finishes it. And then he feels prompted by the Holy Spirit. The last thing you want to do is obey the Holy Spirit in this, but he does. And he just says, so, um, you guys been together for a while? Well, yeah, you know, where we just got married. You say, oh, well, congratulations. Um, do you know, you know, I know you love each other. I mean, you deeply love each other. Can I say something? And and don't freak out. But this love that you have, you know, if it's just an emotion, it's only going to get you so far. But there, you know there's a, actually a standard of love? And the standard is a person. And you probably think I'm some kind of weird person, but I just want to tell you that this this person is Jesus. And and my friend, Trust, is telling me this. He's, he said, at any moment, I'm expecting them to go, start to roll out the window, right, you know? <coughs> but, and they're like, oh, thanks for sharing that. He goes, and he wants to walk away. He's just like, do you know, <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird, but you're n- newly married, and you're going to face a lot of challenges in life. Can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And he prayed for them, and that was it, and then he was done. And he was telling me the story. He says, he goes, David, he goes, at every moment, he goes, I didn't want to do this. I expected them to be calling 911, rolling up the window, or just shaking their heads or doing something. But they received it. And at each moment, he wanted to walk away, but instead he leaned in. Have you ever had that experience in your life where somebody says something it's just like, you know what? And, and there's that moment of decision. I could walk away, or I can lean in. We are called to be faithful witnesses. Now get that. That means we're not called to be successful marketers, right? We're not vacuum salesmen. But we share faithfully. And we're also not responsible to how people respond. And you look at Paul. I mean, he shares the gospel, and he's a master at this. And look at the responses. (laughs) He either gets beaten up, he gets mocked, or people say, we'd like to hear more. Right? So how do we do this? How do we share the gospel? Okay, by first of all, remembering that we are missionaries. If you're a missionary, what is the first thing you must do if you arrive in on, on a mission field? What's the first thing you need to do? Anybody, former missionary or knows anything about mission? What do you do when you, sorry? Meet some people, that's right. Yeah, you can't be a missionary and stay in your room. Yeah, you got to connect. But why, why are you meeting with the people? To understand who they are, Right if you also need to learn the language too right if, if you don't know the language you need to know the language of the culture right and so as, as as missionaries we need to understand the culture we need to understand the language and here's the thing scripture tells us that we are missionaries that we are sojourners we are exiles we are ambassadors in this world so let me ask you this do you understand our culture The danger is, because maybe you've grown up here, you think, oh, of course I understand the culture. I'm not sure if we do. You and I need to learn our culture deeply. And that means we need to understand not only what's going on, but, but why things are going on. Let me ask you this. Why is there such antagonism towards Christianity in the media? That requires some cultural understanding. Why, why is the media so hostile? Why is it, as a Christian, you can walk with somebody, as a Christian, you can walk with them in their struggle with homelessness, you can walk with someone in their struggle with, with addiction, you can walk with them in their struggle with, with all sorts of issues, but the moment you try to walk with someone in the area of sexuality, there's a wall. Why? What is going on in our culture? I want to challenge you that part of being a missionary is to learn our culture and to learn it deeply. Secondly, you and I, if we're to be missionaries in this world, we need to love people deeply. I don't know if I shared this story before, but I remember I was teaching a class on world religions. And there was a guy who came into the class, and I was teaching on, um, on, on Sikhism, on, on the religion of the Sikhs. And um, there was a guy who came to my class, and he was an expert on everything to do with Sikhs. He had their holy books, he had studied this, and studied. for 25 years, he knew Sikhs inside and out. I'm like, wow, this is pretty impressive. I said, why am I teaching this, man? You should come up and teach. And, and as I was talking to him, he, I, I asked him this question. I said, why are you so interested in studying about Sikhs? and he says to me he goes they've taken over my neighborhood I'm like oh okay hang on he goes yeah he goes you know my neighborhood used to look like this and now it's Sikhs everywhere I'm like let me ask you this in 25 years have you ever led anybody to Jesus no and I thought about it I said I know why because you may know everything about Sikhs but you don't love them You can't lead somebody to Christ if you don't love them. And part of our challenge is we need to not only learn our culture deeply, but as Christ followers, we need to love deeply. We need to recognize that in our world, people need the same thing that you and I need, love, meaning, and acceptance. And so we need to love people, and to love people deeply means I'll just tell you, Facebook debates never work, okay? Thirdly, we need to look for opportunities. In our culture today, the stereotype of Christians is is, uh, a bigot, narrow-minded, hypocritical, intolerant, and just weird, okay? You need to recognize that's that's the picture of Christians in our culture. And so... What if instead of saying, "Well, we're not weird. Oh, we're not," d- 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 d-. what if we just, "All right, all right, that's what you think. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to do something that's just going to blow your paradigm. And to do something that 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 will just cause people to scratch their head." I had a buddy of mine when he lived in uh, China. He did something very very simple. Is um, he was walking along this 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 path, and he's at this university, and there's a um, a tap that was left on and the water was just spraying everywhere and it was just that all morning the water was just left on and so he walks all the way over there ta- turns the tap off and then carries on thinking nothing of it but people watched that and they came up to him afterwards in his class they said why did you turn off that tap he was, well you're wasting water and water's important and you know just I thought it would be the right thing to do it was a, nobody would do something like that, which is strange. Tell me more about why you did this. And it was such a simple act that was a launching pad for so much conversation about Jesus. So why don't you ask, ask yourself this question, where, where can I surprise someone? <laughs> All right, that's your picture of Christians. All right, I'm going to surprise you. I'm not going to try to defend. I'm not not into image control, but I'm going to surprise you. As a good friend of mine says, as Christians, we need to be weird enough that people wonder about us, right? (laughs) And finally, we need to look for movements of the Spirit. That means we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit's at work long before we even show up. Okay, and the last thing is this, is that you and I, in order to, to live authentic Christian lives, we need to remember that as we're living this life, there's going to be joy in the journey. We don't do evangelism like, oh, all right. There's joy in this. And discouragement will not have the final word. How do we know this? Well, we look at Paul. He arrives in Corinth in discouragement, and he's alone. The first thing that God provides is friendship. You notice that? First thing you God provides for him was friendship with, uh, with Aquila and Priscilla. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things in the Christian life is friendship. This picture that we have of Paul going from place to place as a solo evangelist sharing the gospel is not the case at all. Wherever Paul went, he found partners in ministry or he traveled with somebody. And one of the key things in the Christian life is friendship. I've I've spoken on this here before, but I'll tell you, If you don't have a good Christian friend, find one. You cannot go through the Christian life alone. If you think you can, I want to speak to men in particular, because women, you you do friendship pretty good. If you think you can go through the Christian life alone, you and Jesus, that's good enough. You're done. Because you know what happens? If you think you can go through uh, the Christian life alone, what will happen is you'll get to the point where you'll begin to wonder whether or not this whole Jesus Christ, Christianity thing is true. And if you're in this alone, it's just a small step to say, you know what? I don't think it is true. You need friendship. And So if you don't have a friend, <laughs> a, a friend get into a small group get into something that will, will develop friendship. Our whole men's ministry at uh, Coquitlam Alliance Church, the vision, and all my leaders know this, the vision for our, 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 our men's ministry at Coquitlam Alliance Church is simple. Creating space for guys to become friends. That's it. That's all it is. The other thing you have to remember is while we're sharing the gospel is that there's going to be surprises. Who would have thought r- right next door was going to be the church? And this church that Paul establishes in the first century is still around today we just celebrated at our church our 40th anniversary this kind of puts it in perspective they just celebrated their i don't know 1900 1900 anniversary the last thing that paul gets is he gets encouragement and the greatest encouragement comes from the lord himself look what jesus says to him jesus visits paul and he says to him he says Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many people in this city who are my people. And then says Paul stays for a year and a half. Jesus says to Paul, do not back off in sharing the gospel. Keep going, even when you're afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. So let me ask you that. Let me ask you this. Is, is, is that enough for you? you know that Jesus is with you? Then Jesus says, I will protect you. Now, how does he protect Paul? Well, we see what happens that this kind of the last part of the passage, Paul gets dragged up before uh, one of the leaders in the city, and they say, this guy's causing all sorts of problems. You know, arrest him. And the leader of the city says, you know what? If, this was, if he was really causing problems, then maybe I'd do something. This is just one of your law things. I don't care. Get him out of my sight. And then everybody, the whole crowd, turns on the guy who brought them forward, beats him up. Um, but what actually happens, <laughs> it's just kind of a, a sidebar note in, in, in the gospel. It's like, oh, okay. They all get mad at him. But what this actually did is bought Paul freedom and the church freedom to be able to proclaim freely Jesus Christ. For, for quite a long time. And here's the thing, God will reassure his servants at critical times. I came across a story, um, Martin Luther King. He describes an experience that he had in, in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. This is what Martin Luther King wrote. He says, After a particular strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour. I was about to doze off when the telephone rang. And an angry voice said, Listen, nigger, we've taken all that we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry that you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up but could not get to sleep. It seemed as if all my fears had come down on me at once, and so I got out of bed and began to walk on the floor. I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing like a coward. In this state of exhaustion, my courage was almost gone, and I determined to take my problem to God. My head in my hand, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. And the words I spoke to God that night are still vivid in my memory. I said, I prayed, I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking at me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength, without courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I've got nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Now, the presence of Jesus does not mean that everything's going to work out. It doesn't mean there's no suffering in the road. We know that Martin Luther King and Paul both suffered. They both experienced death. Violent death. But it does mean this is that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. That Jesus will be present with us, and while we're sharing the gospel, that he will surround us. And then Jesus says this last promise to Paul is powerful. Notice what he says: he says, I have many people in this city. So Paul's just arrived. And I think what Jesus is saying to Paul is like, you know what? There's a lot of people that I've gone ahead of you. I've been preparing people's hearts. You're not, this, Paul, this is not all about you. It's not just your work. I've gone ahead of you. I've prepared people's hearts. All you need to do is proclaim the truth of Jesus. I've done the work ahead of you. And and you've probably experienced this yourself. There has been situations where I've spoken to people about Jesus, and I've kind of stumbled, and I kind of blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what I said. And the person's like, yeah, I need to respond to Jesus. I'm like, really? (laughs) Because of what I said? Because the Holy Spirit had had been preparing the hearts. There's other times it's like, whoa. I don't even think Paul could have presented that as well as I just did. And people are like, yeah, I don't care what you say. Because their hearts haven't been prepared. It's the work of the Spirit who goes ahead of us. You and I are called to be faithful. And I think that's what, Je- what, Paul, what Jesus is, is saying to Paul. You know what? Just be faithful. I've gone ahead of you on this. I have many people whose hearts I've prepared in this town that are ready to receive me into their life. Now, here's the thing. Who is it in your own life maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in whatever circle you happen to run in, who is it that Jesus has already gone ahead of you and is preparing their heart to return to Jesus, to to receive Jesus? Who is it that that God is calling you (laughs) to faithfully witness to this week? Because, you know, the Holy Spirit's gone ahead. And do you trust that Jesus is as strong and as good and as present as his word says he is, that he will be faithful in this? Do you trust him in this? (laughs) If you're like me, it's like, well, sort of, but I kind of like to know the end result (laughs) before I kind of lean in. And that's a question that might be on your mind today. It's like, okay, David, I'll do this, but how are things going to turn out Are they going to respond? To which I would say, I have no idea. I have no clue. You and I are called to lean in. And we are called to bear testimony to the reality of Jesus, that he is the truth, the life, and the way. And whether or not a person receives it really is not up to us. We're called to be faithful. So the question is, who is God calling you to be faithful to this week? I would challenge you to ask him. And in that moment, in that conversation around the water cooler or wherever you happen to be and and you're watering your withering plants, you know, (laughs) instead of shirking back to lean in And, and to proclaim the truth with love and grace and kindness because that's who Jesus is. Will you do that? I'll tell you, it's, uh, we live in a day where it's harder and harder to talk about Jesus. And that's hard for us as Christians because we've been living in a bubble for about 40 years. In, 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 in Canada for about 40 years, you could be a Christian, you could proclaim Jesus, and for the most part, people would be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, my parents are Christians, my grandparents are Christians, church is a good thing, whatever. Not today today, you're more likely to be received with hostility. But I'll tell you, if there's ever a thirst or a hunger for life, it's now. And we proclaim the truth of Jesus, not because we want to point people to become Christians, but only in Jesus is their life. So let's pray. Father of all grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that rescued us. We acknowledge that once we were lost, but now we're found. Once we were blind, but now you've given us eyes to see. And this is all grace, all grace from beginning to end. We thank you that in Jesus there is life. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us this grace and this courage that we would proclaim in love, in grace, in kindness, but also in truth the hope that is found in Jesus and death that is the result of not finding Jesus. That our lives will only work insofar as they're connected to Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, we pray that you would bring to mind, bring to our hearts, those that we need share this with Lord in our mind's eye we lift up that person to you and we pray Lord have mercy on them and Lord we pray that in grace attentive to the moving of your Holy Spirit that we would lean in when you call us to lean in that we would be faithful when you call us to be faithful Give us words to say. May we love not just with our words, but also with our actions. May we learn our culture deeply. May we love the people that are in this city deeply. May we become missionaries in our own backyard. In Jesus' name, amen.